Welcome to the Truthiverse. My name is Brendan D. Murphy. This is where we unleash truth and freedom with no holds barred, no fear, and no limits. Come and evolve beyond the matrix with me and thrive, not just survive. This is a realm of empowering, uncommon awareness. This is my Truthiverse. These days, positively charged toxic EMF are everywhere, but your biofield runs on a negative charge just like your body's cells, so how do you protect it? I've been using organ effects products like the GeoCleanse and Enerband for years because their technology addresses what others don't, that is, the subtle toxic positive charge field of harmful EMF, neutralizing it. Head to brendanmurphy.global EMF to learn more and get yours, and enter Murphy at checkout for 10% off. All right, hello, and welcome to this episode of Truthiverse. We are going to be talking about the monkeypox or moneypox, as some are calling it, and what's really going on there. What is it that's happening in the body when we're getting these types of symptoms that are being labeled currently as monkeypox? We will also touch on why we're hearing about monkeypox right now. We're going to also, I'm going to run you through several different perspectives on what is happening to create these bodily symptoms and why it doesn't need to have anything to do with the virus. Obviously, most of you, if you've been listening for a little while, you understand that we've already spent a number of episodes debunking the germ theory in general, but specifically the virus dogma. So what's actually happening there? If we're not going to fall back on the good old trope of pathogenic viruses, what causes the symptoms that are being called the pox? Whether it's smallpox, monkeypox, cowpox, what's going on there with the pox? So I'm going to walk you through a few interesting perspectives, and then we're going to take a bit of a deep dive into psychosomatic medicine. We're also going to touch on crowd psychology. We're going to talk about Julian Jaynes's concept of the collective cognitive imperative. And we're going to start connecting some of these dots and pulling things together in a way that will hopefully empower you in your day-to-day life, your health, your general psychological well-being, and help to immunize you against future propaganda or just misunderstandings in general. So... With that all being said, one last thing I think I should mention is that Andy Kaufman did quite a good presentation called No More Monkey Business, which in which he went through the history of the monkeypox virus mythology and went through the various key, you know, the, the, uh, the major papers that helped to found the belief in a monkeypox virus and why they were basically essentially nonsense. So he, he did quite a solid job there of pulling apart the history and the sort of junk science promulgated by the virus hunters. So needless to say, just to quickly summarize that, it might be worth checking out after you watch this, go check it out. But nobody has ever proved there's a virus responsible for the symptoms that we are calling smallpox or cowpox or monkeypox or any kind of pox. And actually, just out of general interest, the term pox originated with syphilis. That's what it used to re- refer to originally back in Europe many years ago, centuries ago. And it came to be then associated with smallpox through superficial resemblances between the two conditions. So syphilis, the pox part of it came to be associated with smallpox. And then from smallpox, they added the term pox to this cow condition that was associated with the udders of cows and people would end up with pox on their hands and they would call this cow pox. So now they've created this semantic link between the conditions, which had no other real link, at least not in terms of no valid link that had been demonstrated empirically in terms of, oh, well, a virus causes this and a virus causes that, and this virus is related to that virus. There was never any, and never has been any evidence to support that. And these, these viruses only exist inside of computer chips and the, the genomes only exist inside computer chips. They've only, they've been put together inside computers. They don't get found in the real world. So from cowpox, we ended up with monkeypox. Again, this semantic jangle is quite a good little history provided in Charles Crichton's book called Jenna and Vaccination, where he shows the history of how we went from syphilis to smallpox to cowpox and why it's all nonsense. And who's responsible? Obviously, Edward Jenner is responsible for that fraud. And he is the founding father, of the godfather of the vaccine lie, the vaccine mythology, the religion of jabism the cult of jabism or there is literally a place called the temple of vaccinia in america an actual temple of vaccinia so you can't tell me this is not a religion anyway we might get into that in a deep dive into smallpox later on in a future episode but for now let's hone in on the mind body stuff let's hone in on alternative explanations for pox in general and 
leave you hopefully with some food for thought. If you enjoy the episode, please do share it along, share it to your friends, post on your socials, and remember to like and subscribe and all that stuff. So with that, that all said, let's look at alternative explanations for pox symptoms. How does this actually arise in the human body without the need to invoke an invisible virus that's never been proved to exist? Let's run through this. So we have Robert Young here and the dietary and nutritional angle. So I'm going to share his perspective on this. Now, Robert is probably the world's leading authority on the importance of pH in relation to health. And he's done a massive amount of education around acids and the impact of acid food, drink in the body, throwing the pH buffering system out of balance or stressing it, maybe I should say, which requires the body then to adapt. And it does this by leaching alkalizing materials into the fluids and the interstitium to counteract the negative effects of the acidic input. Now, I'll just read from an article here of Roberts, which his, is his explanation of how these types of skin conditions, which we might call pox conditions, actually arise. So he says, the acids or toxins from the acidic diet enter the blood and lymph via the venules and lacteals in the intestinal villi. Once the acids enter the blood and lymph, they are pushed out into the connective tissues to be eliminated via the skin. As the acids build up in the connective tissues, the body induces a fever to open up the pores of the skin to eliminate the toxins. It's the dietary acids that cause the rash on the skin, which is the first visual symptom. The extreme symptoms of the smallpox viral infection includes the umbilicated blisters with clear acidic fluid in them, which become pustules filled with dead and dying tissues filled with red and white blood cells. The change to a pustule is the direct result of the damaging effects of vaccination and other toxic acidic medications, including carbolic acid or mercuric chloride, whether taken orally, injected or applied to the skin. You do not have to fear the acidic condition called smallpox, or we might add monkeypox to that, as long as you immediately quit ingesting acidic foods and you rest and drink pure alkaline water up to one liter per 15K or 30 pounds of weight. So he continues to say the smallpox virus is a condition caused by overeating acidic foods and drinks on a daily basis, especially the ingestion of animal proteins. The first stage of acidosis innovation, a smallpox symptomology develops when one does not secure sufficient rest and sleep to permit the normal elimination of endogenic and exogenic acidic toxins building up in the intestines, the blood, and then connective tissues. Hydration of alkaline fluids is also important for the elimination of dietary and metabolic acids and the restoration of the blood, connective tissues, lymph, and nervous system. Once the first stage of acidosis, innovation is established and the alimentary canal is further impaired or congested and the body or connective tissues are flooded with acids from undigested animal proteins coming from the small and large intestines. This will lead to inflammation, induration, ulceration, and finally the last stage of acidosis, degeneration. This final stage of acidosis is also known as toxemia or toxicosis makes it exigent and imperative that dietary and or metabolic acids be eliminated immediately by extraordinary means, such as through the pores of the skin to prevent more serious conditions of acidosis. And that was from an article of Roberts called smallpox, a viral disease caused by the variola virus or an acidic connective tissue disease caused by an acidic lifestyle and diet. So the issue of environmental and dietary stress in the body and the way the body then has to deal with that and expel those acidic stresses under extreme conditions through the skin, hence rashes and pox. So there's also the simple toxic exposure angle, which was an idea floated by Andy Kaufman in his monkey business, no more monkey business presentation. So the idea here is that monkeypox is actually something called toxic epidermal necrolysis. And there is a passage here from the NCBI website that says toxic epidermal necrolysis or TEN or 10 for short, a potentially life-threatening acute mucocutaneous syndrome. It usually occurs because of inappropriate immune reactions to certain drugs. It's characterized by keratinocyte necrosis with separation of the epidermis from the underlying dermis. It is a rare condition. However, its mortality rate is high, 30% of cases. TEN can be induced by medications, infections, vaccines, or even idiopathically, which means in ways that they do not know. They can't identify the origin of the condition. Reaction to certain drugs is by far the most common cause. Various medications have been linked to TEN, including antibiotics, antiepileptics, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, antiviral drugs, and allopurinol. 
Okay, so in other words, from this perspective, these pox that so much are being made of are simply the body's desperate attempt at ridding itself of environmental toxins, whether from vaccines or other forms of exposure. This is largely in line with Dr. Young's explanation of how acidic waste is sent from the blood and lymph out into the connective tissues to be eliminated via the skin. As the acids build up, he tells us, in the connective tissues, the body induces a fever to open up the pores of the skin to eliminate the toxins. So the more severe the toxic overload, the worse the skin symptoms get. There's no need to invoke an infectious invisible pathogen to account for what is already understood and explained. Now, before I get into the really interesting stuff, there's also this bit about shingles. Now, Medical News Today tells us in an article called Shingles After COVID Vaccination, and I quote, other research also highlights the potential role that stress may play. Stresses from social restrictions and the process of vaccination may contribute towards affecting the immune response. Now, I then found an interesting meme from a savvy observer, which I followed up and checked out, and I'll just read what they said. Most of you have probably figured that they just renamed shingles as monkeypox, like they've been doing with diseases for over 100 years for the next big scam. But did you know the real name for shingles is herpes zoster? And on page 34 of their confidential release document, Pfizer listed 11 different forms of herpes zoster as adverse diseases people got from taking their Pfizer vax for COVID. If you're wondering why there's suddenly a monkeypox, aka shingles outbreak, right after half the population took an experimental stab that admittedly causes 11 different forms of it, you're welcome. And if you look here, you'll see I took a screenshot of page 34 of the Pfizer document. And this is just page 34. Look at the list, the astonishing list of symptoms, adverse outcomes resulting from their precious, sacred COVAX injections. And I've highlighted there, I've outlined the herpes section, the 11 different forms of herpes that are showing up in people who have had these jabs, aka shingles. So on one level, these shingles are simply being renamed monkeypox because they need to cover up the vaccine damage. And obviously I'm using the term vaccine for convenience. We know it's not a vaccine. They don't qualify as vaccines, but that's what they're being marketed at as, and it's convenient. So forgive me for using the term. It is inaccurate, but convenient. Okay. So let's get to the interesting stuff. This is where I, I really light up a little bit more and I think you'll find it quite compelling. So if we go to the learning GNM website and we look at shingles, we can learn about the mind body connection, which explains this otherwise seemingly often bizarre or inexplicable condition. Because if you can't explain it through toxic exposure or chronic acidosis or something, then you need another explanation. And it is very, the role of the mind-body dynamic, the influence of the psyche in the body is very understated. And the medical system basically completely disregards it for the most part, especially when we're talking about these politicized issues, it doesn't get a mention. So it needs to be talked about. And I actually had Will, Will Hughes on my show many moons ago, it feels like now. And he talked about German new medicine. He, is, he was a practitioner and sadly, Will, we lost Will last year. So he uh, is no longer with us. And he's the fourth person that I've interviewed in who has died in the last four years. And it is a massive loss that Will is no longer with us on the physical because he was an absolute legend of a guy, beautiful human, very generous, very kind-hearted, very intelligent, very knowledgeable. And um, he was my primary window into, or one of the primary windows into Germany medicine. And that episode is well worth listening to, by the way. So Let's take a look here at the shingles section on the German New Medicine website. Okay, so just to clarify, I just wanted to interject briefly that I'm not, with the following discussion, trying to diminish the significance of the vaccine poisoning, the convid jabs, or any other source of poisoning in terms of the symptomology that we're discussing here in this episode. I believe it's a matter of they all, all these different causes may be responsible. It's just a matter of assessing it on an individual case-by-case -case basis. You know, for instance, were you recently exposed to some source of poisoning? Did you recently have the convid jab? If not, then we probably need to look at a mind-body explanation for the symptoms. And that's really what has uh, drawn my interest for this particular episode is deep diving more into the psychology and looking at it on an individual level and then the mass psychology as well behind what's been going on here and the way that our perceptions are altered and managed and the way this impacts our physiology. So I just wanted to mention that quickly, that I'm not trying to diminish or disregard the significance of the vaccine poisoning before we go further into the psychosomatic stuff. Thanks.
Okay, so shingles are small, non-pigmented growths that develop along one or several segments of the skin. During the healing phase, the skin lesions become swollen and red due to the inflammation and the blisters are filled with pus produced by the bacteria. Now, as the crisis passes, the blisters dry up, form scabs, and gradually fade away. The scarification process is accompanied by acute, sharp, stinging pain. This is characteristic for the healing of all old mesodermal issues, and recurrent bouts of shingles are triggered by conflict relapses by setting on a track that was established when the original attack or feeling soiled conflict place. So this is about the psychological impact of shock or stress or trauma in the body and the way that it manifests physically as symptoms in the body. So he's saying it's an attack conflict or a feeling soiled conflict. This work is based on the monumental research of Dr. Harmer, who is unfortunately no longer with us, but he was the pioneer of this. And I guess it's appropriate as a German doctor who did this, pioneered this work, massive amount of research, 40,000 case studies in order to put this model and theory together, which actually makes sense. And let me just continue by, Okay, so it says that conventional medicine claims that shingles are caused by a reactivation of a previous infection with the varicella zoster virus, which is another type of herpes virus, supposedly, that supposedly causes chickenpox. It has been suggested that the virus migrates along the sensory peripheral nerves and replicates at the area of the skin supplied by that nerve, which then results in the development of shingles. The virus theory, however, cannot explain why the virus would affect a very specific skin segment and why the condition occurs on the right or the left side of the body or both. The immune system theory doesn't provide any answers either. Besides the fact that the existence of the alleged virus is highly questionable, Dr. Harmer's research demonstrates that every person with shingles shows on the brain scan the Harmer focus in the cerebellum, precisely in the area of the brain that controls the corium skin, hence the activity of bacteria in the healing phase. So in this, we are associating bacteria as part of the solution, part of the cleanup crew, the healing crew, not the cause of the problem. And the skin rash that occurs with chickenpox, on the other hand, involves the epidermis and is, is controlled from the cerebral cortex. So what Dr. Harmon did was he actually correlated brain scans and what was showing up in the brain scans with what was showing up in the other body parts. And he, he was able to actually make those correlations, make them in a robust way based on many case studies. So if you look at the picture there, bottom left of the torso, shingles on the left torso revealed the conflict that is feeling attacked or soiled below the waist was associated in this case with a partner if the person is left-handed. For right-handed, the conflict would be mother-child related in this instance. Note, the shingle rash can involve simultaneously the corium skin, which relates to feeling soiled, feeling dirty, and the epidermis, which is wanting to separate from a repulsive person, uh, which is connected to herpes. So in that latter instance, wanting to separate is to do with what they call a separation conflict. Like Kaposi sarcoma, in conventional medicine, shingles is construed as a disease related to AIDS. In the days before HIV, so-called HIV, shingles used to be seen only in older people or in those who had weakened immune systems. Nowadays, shingles are very common with HIV infections, supposed HIV infections and AIDS. Obviously, that is from another website because German New Medicine does not promote the idea of an HIV virus because it has never been proved to exist. It is actually one of the biggest virus scams you could ever hope to see. Okay, so just to recap briefly, the shingles symptoms, which we are seeing at the moment being relabeled as monkeypox are actually connected to a psychological stress, a shock to the system, feeling attacked or feeling soiled. So these events that happen to us in life that cause us stress or trauma, it's largely to do with the impact of the shock that happens. So it's something that we're unprepared for and catches us by surprise, causes a tremendous emotional response, which can then express itself through the body. So the psychosomatic angle, this is what we're getting out here. This is psychosomatic medicine. And I want to elaborate on this a little bit. We have an interesting section here on smallpox. So the German New Medicine, Learning German New Medicine website informs us that smallpox presents as these sharply raised pustules, which we've already talked about. And in the 1600s, European settlers first brought smallpox to North America. It's 1633 to 1634, the disease, which is in reality attack conflicts, wiped out entire Native American tribes. Note, death of smallpox usually occurred from pneumonia, which was generated by territorial fear and existence conflicts. So it makes sense that what happened to the Native American tribes was actually the result of a psychological stress or trauma manifesting in the form of an attack conflict, manifesting as smallpox, 
because they were under attack. They were being genocided. Of course, that is an enormously stressful, traumatic event to go through. Of course, they're going to have some psychosomatic symptoms resulting from that kind of stress. Additionally, just to clarify, pneumonia, they're saying the death of smallpox was usually caused by pneumonia. Pneumonia in Germany medicine is connected to a fear of death. And that does connect back to COVID, Cooties 19 which I'll come back to, the fear of death and pneumonia, because a number of people have been dying of pneumonia and they're calling it COVID. We'll circle back to that in a minute. So I want to elaborate just momentarily and clarify the idea of biological conflicts, specifically attack conflicts, which are very highly relevant to the current monkeypox nonsense. Okay, so just to clear up the idea of biological conflict, according to its protective function, the biological conflict linked to the corium skin is an attack conflict. An attack conflict is experienced, for instance, through an attack by a person or by an animal or through a hit or a blow against the body or against the head. This obviously can happen in a number of different ways, having a fight, sports, accidents, all sorts of things. However, medical procedures such as surgery or a needle biopsy, injections, vaccinations, as well as stabbing or piercing pain could also be registered as an attack. Verbal attacks, for example, being yelled at, scolded, assaulted, or threatened with sharp and aggressive words typically hit the face the forehead, which represents in, if you're having some kind of an interesting thing happen on your forehead skin, probably related or possibly related to an insult against your intelligence. If you're having back symptoms, it could be a stab in the back. So you can see how metaphorically the mind-body complex actually works. Sexist remarks, sexual accusations, or an attack against one's sexual orientation usually strike below the waist. Again, makes sense. Hearing offensive words affects the corium skin of the ear. Being criticized in a hostile manner, discrimination, defamation, or an insult against one's integrity could have an impact on the whole body, which would be a generalized conflict. A skin condition such as acne or surgical scars in the face or on the body can evoke a disfigurement conflict, which also corresponds biologically to the corium skin. It goes on to say that in addition, the conflict linked to corium skin relates to feeling unclean. So this could be smelly, sweat related, stinky feet, stinky discharge of some sort, incontinence, all sorts of ways that we might feel unclean. You might step in a dog turd on the, out in the grass somewhere, and you could have a soiling conflict kick in the skin of your foot. Dirty words thrown at one's face or gossiping behind one's back might provoke the conflict because the psyche cannot differentiate between real dirt and figurative dirt. A feeling soiled conflict could be triggered through physical contact with a person who is regarded as repulsive. For instance, a drunk person, a smelly person, or a person who has a contagious disease like a venereal disease, say syphilis, which we were talking about earlier, provided that one believes that infectious diseases are actually transmittable. The fear of a, quote, infection and of contracting a disease can affect an entire population. See epidemics such as the Great Plague or Scamdemic 2020, because there was a massive amount of fear of an infection, which was being actively promoted with an unbelievable, un unprecedented amount of fear-mongering, fear porn. And that's exactly what we saw happening to people succumbing to this suggestion, this programming, this mass mind control. So obviously, the mind-body medicine here that we're talking about, these ideas in Germany medicine are very relevant to the events of 2020 onwards, the last three years, hugely relevant. So perception really is everything in this realm and the body can't discriminate between something that's real or imagined. And as we can see, it operates in a, the mind-body complex of psyche operates in a very metaphorical or figurative way. A strong fear of infection can potentially manifest symptoms of the imagined infectious disease, which then makes the individual's belief system a self-fulfilling prophecy. And that's why it's so important to have well-informed beliefs so that you don't actually harm yourself physiologically through those beliefs. And I actually, I covered the amazing power of belief in chapter 13 of the Grand Illusion. And I showed that people have literally been believing themselves into the grave for millennia, going back at least as far as the Aborigines pointing the bone. The nocebo effect is as real as the placebo effect. And it's basically just the opposite thing. So the placebo effect is a positively, essentially mind-based psychosomatic phenomenon where the nocebo effect is a negative effect created by the mind. Primarily unconsciously, we're talking here. And the powers that control the media, which controls mass perception, know this. They know that the nocebo effect and the placebo effect are real. They've been studying psychology and mind control for decades. They know that they can induce so-called disease essentially by planting the suggestion in the public psyche, which is a form of mass hypnosis, basically. And then people will interpret their experience or their symptoms 
in line with the propaganda and the ideas that are fed to them by the system, by the media. And all that you need is not a real pathogen, but the perception that there is one. That's all that you need. And I've been saying this from the beginning. Fear is, of course, the weapon that's used consistently and to great effect by the elite to create the desired behavioral changes in the so-called useless eaters, as they think of most people. So they use fear as a weapon. They use germ theory and the virus model myth as a weapon to help people, to induce people into creating their own disease. And then, of course, if you're believing that there's a virus on the loose, then you're going to believe that your symptoms are caused by the virus. And you're never going to actually wise up and realize that you've been mind controlled and duped in a massive way. Let me introduce you, if you're not already familiar, to Dr. John Sano's work here and his work around mind-body medicine because it's profound, very important stuff. I want to just talk about what TMS is, tension myositis syndrome, shortens to TMS. And it's a term that has been originally used, I was originally used to refer to say chronic pain, tension that caused chronic pain, but it's more generally applied to a raft of different psychosomatic phenomena, different mind-body illnesses or symptoms. And he says in his book, The Divided Mind, that it is not known what determines the unconscious mind's choice of which symptom or system to employ, but it makes no difference since the purpose of all symptoms in this model is the same, to distract the conscious mind. That's a very profound point. And if you have been dealing with maybe something like fibromyalgia or diffuse fibromyalgia, you are probably experiencing, and there's a good chance you're experiencing a significant input from the unconscious mind there. It may be entirely psychosomatic. It may be partially psychosomatic. It's very important what we, how we choose to use our perceptions of what's happening here in terms of what happens in the physiological realm of the body. So he says, regarding the immune peptide system and the, the immune system, just want to share this bit with you with the immune peptide system the disorder may be induced a disorder may be induced by either overactive or underactive immune function overactive immune function activity leads to things like allergic phenomena such as allergic rhinitis conjunctivitis sinusitis and asthma a large number of skin problems as well eczema hives acne psoriasis and obviously we've been talking about things like the pox smallpox cowpox monkeypox the question invariably arises, aren't allergic reactions caused by allergens like grass pollens? The answer is yes, but such allergens are just triggers. This excessive sensitivity of your immune system is not to protect you from foreign substances, but to keep your conscious attention focused on the body. So this is, just to clarify, TMS, this is an, a, a strategy employed by your unconscious mind to use a physical symptom, to manifest or manufacture a physical symptom that distracts you from emotional content in your psyche that is unacceptable, that you don't on some level want to face, want to deal with, or process, or especially express. Like for example, rage is one of the most taboo of the emotions. And we have a system here of distraction and deception, which our unconscious mind employs as a way of keeping those, keeping our attention away from the emotions so that we don't allow them to surface and process them. So what happens is we manufacture unconsciously physical disease symptoms. I'll just continue with Sano's quote here. Conversely, the unconscious mind may do the opposite to deflect attention from itself. It may decrease the efficiency of the immune system and render the person susceptible to infection. At least that's what it's going to look like on the surface. How many times do we have some kind of a, what appears to be an infection and we just assume that it's caused by microbes instead of asking ourselves, what could be happening here psychologically that this, that I have actually created this symptom. And recurrent infections of any kind are usually an indication of this process at work. The infections must be treated medically, but they will continue to recur if they're not treated psychologically as well. It's highly significant that many of the people suffering from the pain of TMS who have participated in our therapeutic program have reported the disappearance of allergies or frequent infections simultaneously with the cessation of pain. And just to be clear, Sano, worked as a psychologist and psychiatrist, and he was treating people psychologically at a psychological level. That was his treatment for the physical symptoms. And very often, as long as people were open to understanding things through this lens, 
He had enormous success with this method, just a psychological treatment, which then cleared up the physiological manifestations. And he says that one is forced to the conclusion that psychosomatic reactions and therefore the emotions that cause them are universal. It is important to recognize that they are not illnesses. They are part of life, part of the human condition. Okay, so at this point, you might be seeing some pretty major overlaps between what we talked about in German New Medicine with attack conflicts, separation conflicts, feeling soiled conflicts, all the stuff that manifests at the level of skin. And uh, this stuff tends to stick with me because I, out of all my various psychosomatic symptoms over the years, skin has been one of the foremost. And so I know uh, what attack and separation conflicts look like. I'm used to it. So there's an overlap there between this happening and the TMS, sorry, this framework, I should say, and the TMS tension myositis framework as elucidated by John Sano. There's some major overlaps. And when we talk about tracks being activated in German New Medicine, tracks back to the initial trauma or stress, those are acknowledged in a different, a different way in Sano's model. Sano's theory accounts for that in a different way. So all roads seem to lead to Rome and the importance of the psyche really can't be overstated in terms of our physical health and also our collective health the conditions that so supposedly spread throughout society, infectious, contagious diseases that spread wealth, ladies and gentlemen, first they spread through the mind. They spread as an idea. They are memes. That's the first, foremost, and most fundamental way that they spread. They are memes. They pass from mind to mind. And if you believe in them, if you invest in the idea of COVID-19 and the virus that's running around killing people, you invest in that and you become scared of dying, as many, many people did, you are quite likely to manifest corresponding symptoms to that death-fright conflict, which manifests in the lungs. So I'm going to now lead into that. So the German New Medicine connection to Convid is explained in this way. The biological conflict linked to lung alveoli is a death-fright conflict because in biological terms, the death panic is equated with not being able to breathe. Now, let's think back to May 25th, George Floyd's apparent murder, May 25th, 2020. And the term, the phrase that we heard over and over again, I can't breathe. Now, I ask you, is it really a coincidence that this happened to be during a time when the authorities and the media were massively ramping up this psyop of fear and paranoia around a never proved to exist virus that supposedly caused a deadly respiratory condition? This would have conveniently, very conveniently augmented the psychological atmosphere conducive to the death fright conflict being induced through mass mind control and mass formation psychosis via the media. So SARS-CoV-2 is supposedly a respiratory virus causing various respiratory symptoms, such as impaired lung function and oxygen intake. Regardless of what you think really happened with George Floyd and that whole controversy, the point is that it actually served the C-19 PSYOP very well. We had people gathering by the thousands in the streets with signs, placards, and chants saying, I can't breathe. Now, isn't that just a very remarkable coincidence? That all happened during the early days of this massive PSYOP about a respiratory condition caused by a virus that doesn't exist. So clearly, it seems clear to me that the pals that were orchestrating this scam, which planned it years in advance, by the way, and I showed that in my other, I think it was episode 14 of Truthiverse, they clearly knew that they had to cover every base here and really hammer home the uh, psychic driving, the propaganda, the psychological warfare. It had to be really on point. Because if it wasn't, nobody would have been sick because there's no virus. Okay, so just a quick disclaimer before we move on here. Obviously, I'm making a generalization there. Obviously, people are always experiencing symptoms of illness and people are always dying just as they were prior to the announcement of COVID-19. And um, nothing really changed drastically there. We never had pandemic numbers of anything happening, except there were some interesting things going on in certain places around the world, certain cities in particular, where they were activating the 5G network, where they were increasing people's exposure to toxic electromagnetic radiation, microwave frequencies. And then in certain cases, there were people who were manifesting, for example, an oxygen deprivation phenomenon uh, they, their faces were turning a bluish hue. They couldn't breathe properly. There were actual respiratory symptoms. Uh, obviously nothing to do with the virus, but the, they branded it as COVID-19 symptoms when people were actually experiencing, aside from the, the, the whole psychosomatic sort of hysteria, they were actually, in certain instances, experiencing electromagnetic radiation poisoning. And sometimes that showed up as oxygen deprivation, for example. Um, so I, I'm not saying that that wasn't the case. That was the case. That was happening in certain places. And and 
I don't mean to, you know, by these generalizations that I make when I'm in the flow of consciousness here, I don't mean to maybe, you know, for you to take me completely literally in a face value when I do that, because I am well aware that there were certain things happening in certain places that were interesting. People were experiencing different or strange symptoms, which we can explain partially through electromagnetic radiation poisoning. Okay, let's continue. So this was a mass formation, mass psychosis, mass mind control, which was approached and executed from a number of different avenues. And obviously the medical system, most medical practitioners bought into it without a second thought, not exactly a realm where critical thinking is, it's not a realm where it's renowned, I'll put it that way. And that was actually an observation made by Charles Crichton back when he was alive, that his medical peers in the medicos, he said that they, they just, they're not known for their critical thinking. They don't really do a lot of it. And they're not trained to, they're trained to obey and rope learn and do as they're told. And they're trained by a big farmer. That's who runs the medical system. So very interesting stuff there to consider around how we actually supported the powers that be in orchestrating this PSYOP and manifesting it collectively and on an individual scale. So just wanted to add the TMS angle on biological conflict. So John Sano's perspective on the biological conflict from Germany medicine. So he tells us in The Divided Mind, the TMS patient, for example, is the former child who learned that speaking up might aggravate the frazzled adult in his life who might get angry. And this was scary. The TMS patient is the former child who was never praised unless he accomplished something. The TMS patient is the former child who was abused. The TMS patient is the former child who thought that his parents' divorce occurred because he was not perfect. The TMS symptoms come from the psychological conflict that forms in the adult who sees life through the same eyes that he had as a child when he had little or no power or control over life circumstances and acts accordingly. The child's view and the behavior that once was a survival technique no longer work. So you can see obviously a massive overlap there between Germany medicine and the tension myositis model. And all of this leads me into something called the collective cognitive imperative. And this is a term that first came about from Julian Jaynes. And he wrote a fantastic, I should, <laughs> fantastic is an understatement, fantastic book called The Origin of Consciousness in the Breakdown of the Bicameral Mind. It's not everybody's cup of tea, but it was, it's probably up there in my two most mind-blowing books that I've ever read. It is such a radical paradigm shift, and I can't recommend it enough if you really want to start understanding certain things about how we got to our modern uh, state of consciousness and what it looks, what consciousness looked like, say, 10,000 years ago. So anyway, it was Professor Julian Jaynes who gave us the term collective cognitive imperative. And for once, there's actually a useful entry in Wikipedia, which I will quote from. I'm not proud of it, but I will do it. And it tells us the collective cognitive imperative is an internal command or obligation felt by su suggestible people that often drives their joining some group. Besides requiring the person accept the group's belief system, it outlines culturally agreed on behavioral constraints and roles to be acted out. While the group is usually thought of as a formally well-defined one, such as a tribe, church, cult, or commune, this imperative can be less rigorously connected to peer pressure, in which case it can apply to ill-defined groups like being a cool person, whatever that means. It can likewise be related to joining the winners through the bandwagon effect. Now, obviously, in the height of the convert hysteria and mass psychosis, it was the Branch Covidians who represented the in-group during the pandemic, because by far they were the biggest contingency. They were the most numerous people who were the non-believers, the filthy unbelievers, the heretics, the, the witches. They, they were the out-group. They were the others. We were all being systematically otherized by this mind control program. And so the collective cognitive part of this term connects it to group decision-making rather than an individual internally and analytically weighing the merits of believing in something or acting a certain way, this imperative requires that he or she trust an external authority accepted by the group. The authority can be a person such as a preacher, a shaman, a hypnotist, a celebrity, or something else such as a voice from a speaker, a TV image, a drum, a sacred or holy book, a magic charm, etc., etc. Often a period of indoctrination must occur before both the suggestible person and the other members feel the person now belongs to the group. We had a hell of an indoctrination process for 2020. Depending on the group they join, those who succumb to the collective cognitive imperative may be ridiculed by others as failing to do their own thinking, undermining their own individual individuality, or giving up certain rights. That sounds familiar. 
In that sense, such suggestible people can be likened to herd animals such as sheep. For once, Wikipedia is on point. So this was what was happening through the mass formation event. There was a collective cognitive imperative being formed, which told us we needed to join the group. We needed to become believers, be initiated into the cult and give up our critical thinking, give up dissent, give up criticism and just go along to get along. And we sure were subjected to a fair bit of hostility along the way from the true believers, the branch Covidians, a lot of them were, <laughs> and some still are quite hostile because they are still under that mind control programming. So circling back to John Sano and the uh, TMS domain, Sano identified three potential sources for the unconscious rage that Everybody harbors to some degree. We all harbor it. And it's the most taboo emotion. We've come to terms with virtually every other emotion. We've come to terms with grief. That's becoming more and more of a, an acceptable thing. We've destigmatized most mental illness, but rage is like the last frontier. We haven't really got a great handle on it just yet. And so he tells us that there are three sources for this rage in the unconscious. Number one, stresses and strains of daily life. Number two, the, res the residue of anger from in infancy and childhood, which is huge. And number three, internal conflict, that is self-imposed pressure, the clash of the id and the superego. It also comes from perfectionist and goodest traits. That is, obviously, perfectionism doesn't need much explanation. Goodism is the tendency, the chronic tendency to want to be seen as good, to do the right thing, to earn brownie points. And, and I think that's definitely rele relevant to the, uh, the people who are the branch Covidians. The goodism is something that's at play there because they're searching for external validation through their virtue sign signaling. That goodism often carries over into these types of events where people want to be seen as good, virtuous, altruistic, caring about other people. You know, that whole thing, put your mask on, you'll kill your grandma. That, that kind of obnoxious virtue signaling is related to the goodism. People wanting to score brownie points and prove their worth so they get the gold star, they get that external validation that they can't give themselves. And this is what uh, this is massively connected to crowd psychology in that crowd is generally made up of people. And we see this through COVID and we see this in the left more than anything. The left exemplifies this. It's composed primarily of people who are driven unconsciously by self-loathing. And they're obviously people who do not have a great deal of self-worth. And that's clear. If you have any level of insight, you can see that much. Additionally, there are three powerful unconscious realities that work together, frequently work together to produce a psychosomatic episode. That is a psychosomatic symptom manifestation. And they are, one, deep feelings of inferiority. Number two, narcissistic tendencies. Number three, strong dependency needs. And they can all combine together to work to produce a psychosomatic episode, which in the TMS model is going to be a physiological event, a symptom that manifests to distract the conscious mind from its actual emotional state, from the emotional condition of the psyche, so that we remain focused on something else. And each of these things, these the inferiority, the narcissism, the dependency, they lead to unconscious anger and rage and emotional pain. And so we have this reservoir of rage that has been building from the time we were actually in the womb, particularly if you had a mother who was someone who was self-loathing, who had a lot of issues, a lot of stress and strain, maybe a lot of fear, then you would be even more prone to this protection, particularly if that your mother was someone who was a perfectionist or who had the, the goodism going on. And so we have this reservoir of rage building constantly and the unpleasant thoughts and emotions are striving to reach consciousness. But that would be, we've already decided on some level that's unacceptable. For whatever the reason is, you know, a baby can't rebel against its mother because it would be threatened with being cut off from its food source. So it's unacceptable to bite the nipple, for example. So we suppress the rage, we, we bury it, and we take on this idea that it's unacceptable. We take that idea into adulthood, and we unfortunately continue to function like that. So to prevent these unpleasant thoughts and emotions from arising to conscious awareness, the brain creates pain or some other symptom or syndrome as a distraction. And this is not just a theory. This is observed through thousands and thousands of people around the world who have been working with TMS specialists in a clinical situation. And they've found like Harmer did that there are clear connections between these emotional events and conditions and the physical events that, that challenge us now, physical diseases. So mass formation in the context of Cooties 19, the scandemic 2020, the pandemic that never was, mass formation, this mind control program gives people something to be distracted with. It is a source of distraction from their own unconscious rage, their feelings of inferiority, their lack of self-worth. And it 
very much ties in. And I want to not to dwell on it too much, but if you are not aware of the key ingredients of this mass formation dynamic, I'll just run through them quickly. So there are four key ingredients. Basically, this. firstly, we need a lack of meaningful societal bonding and human connection in people's lives. Obviously, that was already present and fulfilled, and it was exacerbated when they started doing the lockdowns and telling people to stay home, go and see your family, this kind of garbage. And unfortunately, for the people who were obedient, the obedient virtue signalers, they would have suffered more as a result of that particular condition or from that particular condition, the lack of bonding and human connection. Secondly, the second condition is that a majority of people must experience life as generally meaningless and purposeless, which I think is a condition that was definitely already present and probably in some respects would have been made more under the conditions of house arrest for some people because when you we derive so much meaning and purpose from our family, our social connections. And when you take away the social connections, a lot of our meaning and purpose and our sense of fulfillment goes with them, it disappears. Okay, so they tie together quite nicely. Number three is widespread free-floating anxiety and free-floating discontent. Now, they have no apparent causes. That's the key point there. And that is very obvious that those were conditions that were already met, already present long ago. There is a massive amount of free-floating anxiety that people can't identify a cause for. And a lot of it is unconscious at the unconscious level. Free-floating discontent, well, there's no shortage of that, whether you're awake or asleep. I would say most people are suffering fairly high levels of discontent. And that's been probably increasing through the last few decades, quite rigged economic system, which makes it harder and harder to make ends meet. So those conditions were already present and fulfilled. Lastly, free-floating frustration and aggression, which tends to naturally follow the previous three. Here again, the frustration and aggression have no discernible cause. The beautiful thing about the, the mass formation psychic uh, psychological psyop, I should say, sorry, is that it gives people who suffer from this free-floating frustration and aggression, it gives them a target. It gives them the scapegoat. So the system provided the scapegoat, which was the people who don't believe, the unbelievers, the people who won't put the mask on, the people who won't stay home, the people who won't get the jab, the filthy others, the witches, burn them. That's That was a convenient target for the frustration and aggression. So that, and that's still in play. I mean, you can still find people who go onto any social media platform and start challenging people's beliefs around Cooties 19. And you'll quickly find that is very present and you are making yourself a target for these people who don't actually really know why they're angry. It's called displaced anger they're giving that they're hitting you with it but really they're angry at their mother for smothering them in the womb when in in the psychological environment of the womb when they were being developed they're angry at their father for something he did when they were three years old and they can't remember anymore that you know all this stuff that gets buried in the subconscious and builds this reservoir of rage that sano talks about ends up being displaced onto other targets and you can see that this is so beautifully exemplified in feminism neo-feminism i should say today's third and fourth waves and the left in general, they don't really, you can see they don't know what they're really angry at. They think they know, but the, the irrationalism and the irrational outbursts that they have at people who don't have the same perspective are the giveaway. It tells you that it's displaced anger and frustration and that they actually need, it's the problem there is the lack of self-awareness and the lack of psychological insight. And we have, you know, as Michael Tassarian has pointed out, we have a very anti-psychological society. We don't, overwhelmingly people are not interested in understanding themselves on a deep level. They want to stay at the surface level. And those people are the easiest to manipulate. People with no psychological awareness, no knowledge of psychology are the easiest to manipulate. They're the easiest to con with a PSYOP, a psychological operation like Cooties 19. And that's why psychological awareness and knowledge is so crucial. Aside from the fact that we need it to self-actualize and to individuate and leave the womb, figuratively speaking, we need that psychological awareness. And we need to start cultivating it. Otherwise, we end up like these irate, irrational leftists who have no idea about anything and are angry at something, but they don't know what. Now, an interesting thing happens in TMS, which is called symptom substitution. So what, quite often what happens, and I've experienced this myself, when you get on top of one particular symptom, it might vanish and disappear, but then suddenly you have a completely different symptom somewhere else in your body that is now replacing it. And that is symptom substitution. It's very well recognized by TMS specialists. They see it all the time. And I'll give you a quote here from Dr. Douglas Hoffman, who writes in The Divided Mind with Sano. 
he has his own chapter. And he says, sometimes the unconscious will substitute an emotional reaction such as anxiety or depression. I've referred to this as the equivalency response. This extremely important phenomenon has been described by Sano as the symptom imperative. According to Sano, Freud described symptom substitution 100 years ago, but didn't know what it meant. As Sano has pointed out, the medical profession is largely responsible for the pain epidemic sweeping the country today because it's unaware of the existence of psychosomatic disorders. The unconscious mind strives to present symptoms that are legitimized in society. Additionally, it wants to be taken seriously. He adds that the workers' compensation system itself is a psychogenic trigger for developing a pain disorder because it gives the subconscious mind a target and a, and a sort of a legitimization or a, a, rational, a rationale for creating a particular symptom. And he adds that the healthcare industry plays a big role in validating and perpetuating psychosomatic disorders. Medical practice does not understand or acknowledge psychosomatic disorders. Thus, physicians can only explain pain based on the structural model. This has several important impl implications. First, treatment strategies can only be derived from this model. Second, validating one's psychosomatic pain disorder as a structural problem reinforces the reason the pain is there in the first place to distract one's unconscious emotions. Thus, current medical treatments often reinforce the psychosomatic process because they legitimize and validate the pain as structural when it's actually psychologically created. If physicians did not validate psychosomatic problems as being structural, e.g. fibromyalgia, then the problem would diminish or even disappear. So to simplify and summarize that last bit, if you can recognize your symptoms as psychologically created, we're not saying the symptoms aren't real. The symptom is real. It's a question of understanding what causes it. And most of the time we're making the mistake that it's been caused by a physical or a structural issue or challenge, when in reality, very frequently, it's actually unconsciously created by the mind and the mind-body interface. Mind and the body are not separate things in this context. As he points out, the medical system itself in general is responsible for these pain epidemics that are sweeping across the country and not just America, but around the world. Also, we saw a beautiful example of a, not a pain epidemic, but a respiratory disorder, which was not at epidemic proportions as such, but being spread by the medium of the media. And without the media telling people that they were at high risk of a respiratory condition, people wouldn't have had any other, any kind of unusual experience. And we would have just had the usual flu and cold and cough and whatever, but it was all reframed. It was all rebranded and sold to us as something completely different. And then the fear that came with that put people into a death fright conflict, gave them pneumonia. They generated a pneumonia as one. This is just one example of what happened for some people. And some of them ended up in hospital on respirators and something like 80% of people put on respirators end up dying. So it kills them. So you start the process of killing yourself by buying into the fear-based belief systems that are being sold to you. If someone's selling you this fear, you need to not buy it. Otherwise you are going to do yourself a huge disservice because your physiology doesn't know the difference between what is true and what is not true. It will simply reflect what your beliefs are. So if there's an emotion behind your beliefs, and you're believing in something that is disempowering, you are going to disempower yourself and quite possibly make yourself sick, quite possibly kill yourself the way that, you know, when the Aborigines pointed the bone at somebody, that person would go and they would leave the tribe and they would die. And they found that when the white people, the English invaded, that didn't work on the English. And it didn't work on them because they didn't believe. They didn't share the same belief system. They didn't share the same semiotic system, the same system of meaning and associations. They had a very different, more rationalistic, materialistic outlook. And the, uh, the pointing of the bone was meaningless to them. So nobody died, didn't affect them. And this discussion about fibromyalgia and the system legitimizing pain disorders and psychosomatic symptoms, and this ties, this relates back to GNM tracks, German New Medicine tracks, which I mentioned earlier. So Hoffman says that emotional triggers occur when circumstances, whether dramatic or more subtle, evoke unconscious painful emotions and feel the need to defend them with a distraction such as physical pain. In other words, real stress is that which evokes unconscious emotions. So we have these triggers, which would be called in GNM, a track that hark back to an earlier stress, an earlier source of pain and emotional pain, a trauma, and then it gets reactivated and re-evoked. So then you find yourself dealing with these symptoms. You don't know why they're there, what caused them. And sometimes it's really hard to pin down. You can't always identify the psychological cause of a symptom. Sometimes it's really tricky, really insidious and hard to spot. And I guess that's the point because the whole purpose of the TMS dynamic is that it distracts your conscious mind from dealing with 
painful emotions. That's why it's there. So it's this little gremlin hiding in the system, hiding in the gears, not wanting to be seen. So it's throwing out all these smoke screens and fireworks and explosions and things to keep you distracted so that you don't see the gremlin. The point is that the gremlin is the unconscious, unacceptable emotions, which we don't want to deal with. And he also adds, Hoffman also adds that in our society, it is acceptable, even in vogue, to have certain symptoms such as back pain, headaches, and acid reflux. And we can add to that Cooties 19. We manufactured a situation where it became in vogue to say, you've got COVID. I've got COVID. Ah, I had a test. I've got COVID. And the test's meaningless, but uh, it doesn't matter. I've got COVID. And this cult-like mentality has hijacked so many people's minds. And it has created a condition, a psychological milieu where we are now prone to manu manifesting and manufacturing on an <laughs> unconscious level the very symptoms we are told the COVID virus causes. And we do this entirely through the power of the unconscious mind, which is enormous. This leads me into wrapping up with some sentiments by the great and late Ivan Illich. And actually, I should say the great and late John Sarno, because he died a few years back. He's no longer with us. And his work, The Divided Mind, is well worth reading. So anyway, to head back to the great, late Ivan Illich, medicine as a global game master. Let's talk about that. The game we're playing and medicine as the master of the game. And he says, Illich says, if medicine takes the form of game, then the doctor is the umpire representing the social body. And his job is making sure that everyone plays the game and follows the rules. I mean, my goodness me, look at 2020, 2022. Have we ever seen a better example of that? Have we ever seen a better example of medicine, the medical system, ostensibly on the surface level, ruling society, acting as the umpire, representing the social body, di dictating the rules of the game, and that everybody has to follow the rules. Put your mask on. Stay home. Science. Trust the science. Get your vaccine. Trust the science. The doctor said so. Has he read the insert? No, he just said so. Shut up and get it. Oh. Is anyone being injured or dying? I don't know. I'm not looking. I'm looking. I've got my head in the sand. I don't want to know about that. Shut up and get your vaccine, you anti-science heretic, witch. So the rules of this game that medicine ostensibly runs. Number one, you can never leave the game. There's no opting out. My goodness me. How prescient is this from me? No one's allowed out of Cooties 19 2022. Rule two, the umpire determines which ways of dying are acceptable and no other ways may be used. Now he was talking about, he was having this discussion in the context of death and dying and the way that mainstream medicine has hijacked this event, death, and monopolized it and commercialized it so that we're all supposed to die in a hospital bed with wires and things coming out of us and making money for the system. And so the only death allowable in this system is sanctioned, the one sanctioned by the doctor priest. And through this intensive medicalization of death, healthcare, as he pointed out, has grown into a monolithic global religion. And that is why we call people branch COVIDians, because they are members of a global religion, a cult. And this is still a game that we're playing. The game is medicine is in control. The doctors are in control, ostensibly. Obviously, we know that there's a nucleus behind this, a cult cabal behind this, orchestrating it. And that's the evidence we have for that is extensive. But this is all pre-planned and manufactured. But you can never leave the game. They're in charge. You're not allowed to leave. You're not allowed out. And you can only die when they say you can die and you can only die in the ways that they say you can die. So you got to die in a medically acceptable way. It's not okay if you're just at home with your family and you just pass away peacefully. That's, you can't just be there. There's some recalcitrant, some anti-science heretic at home, just choosing to pass peacefully in the privacy of your own bed or whatever. No, you have to be doing it the way that the umpires of the game have determined. And they've determined there's a particular way to do it. And it's okay if you die as a result of their treatments. For example, getting a needle, getting the cooties jab. That's okay. If you die as a, re a result of that, the, it's clearly all right because it's happened to thousands of people around the world. We've never had injections that have been this dangerous and never had more deaths in such a short amount of time as a result of these injections. But clearly the message implicit at the very least is that we are, that we're all okay with that. It's fine. As long as you die in a medically approved way, it's fine. So we can use doctors, whether they're aware of it or not, most of them are obviously oblivious. We can use them, our doctor priests, to send us into the afterlife with the state approved, medically approved, sanctioned injections. And that's okay, but it's not okay if you find other ways to die. But <laughs> manslaughter and murder in this context, as long as their system approved, as long as it's done by a doctor, 
it's okay. Manslaughter and murder are rubber stamped. Go right ahead. It's okay because you get a get out of jail free card and because injections, vaccines are sacrosanct. And you're not allowed to ask questions about that. And one of the reasons you're not allowed to ask questions about that or challenge them or point out that they don't work or point out that they're killing people or maiming people or point out that they never got rid of any diseases historically is because it's obvious that they are using injections as their one of their foremost means of culling the herd. It's one of the foremost means of depopulation. That's obvious to anybody who understands even just a little bit of how this cabal, this cult runs things and works and manipulates society. And um, I'd say that just about wraps it up. I've probably been going for long enough now. And uh, I hope that you found this interesting, this little exploration of psychosomatic medicine interesting. I hope I've managed to connect some dots for you and tie some things together. And I hope that it empowers you to be in your center, to determine your own reality, to weigh and consider and analyze, use your critical thinking. Don't simply leap into beliefs. Don't simply adopt belief systems. Don't fall into things like the bandwagon effect or the group. Don't succumb to the collective cognitive imperative, as Jane's called it. Be your own individual. And with that, I will leave you, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for your time. If you like the information here, please share it around, drop it in your socials, email it to a friend, and I will see you next time. If you're a discerning, open-minded, and dedicated seeker who loves a good deep dive into the nature of reality and consciousness, then do check out my book, The Grand Illusion, composed of over 10,000 hours of research and experience. Find more information and reader reviews at brendandmurphy.com slash TGI.